MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, July 9th, 2021. Today, Michael Avenatti is sentenced to two and a half years for extortion. Tucker Carlson sought an interview with Putin at the time of his NSA spying claim. Five Floridians are charged with attacking seven police officers in the insurrection investigation. Toyota has caved to public pressure and will stop donating to the Sedition Caucus. The former guy charged his Secret Service over $10,000 for rooms at Bedminster last month. And the recent Russian hacks are testing Biden's resolve to hold Russia accountable. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everyone. Happy Friday. Because it's Friday, I'll be joined later by Amy Carrero, Shira for the good news. And I'll be talking to cybersecurity expert and author of Bots Against Us, Alan Silberberg, about the recent barrage of Russian cyber attacks and the one on the RNC. This is, uh, as, as we know, this has happened before. And of course, the, the phishing expeditions into private corporations and the ransomware attacks, etc. They've really been, uh, you know, ramping that up. And we, we were expecting this. Uh, we told you about this at the beginning of the year. Uh, but well, yeah, so we're going to talk to him. He he wrote the book literally on this. And so he will be here to discuss the implications and consequences, etc. We do have quite a bit of news to get to today. And I've even thrown a little extra breaking schadenfreude in at the end of this block. I think you'll love it. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. So much news today. I couldn't pick a lead story. So let's just go alphabetically and start with Avenatti. Michael Avenatti was sentenced today to 30 months in prison for a brazen botched scheme to extort Nike up to $25 million. We've been reporting on this for a while. That sentence was much lower than the nine years that was the bottom of the sentencing range suggested by federal guidelines. Avenatti was asking for six months, so it seems like he got a pretty good deal here with two and a half years. There's a quote from Avenatti, quote, I alone have destroyed my career, my relationships and my life, and there is no doubt I need to pay. That is what he said to Judge Gardeth before he was sentenced through tears. He was crying when he said that. I am truly sorry for all the pain I caused Mr. Franklin and others. Mr. Franklin is Gary Franklin, a former client of his, an amateur basketball coach. Avenatti's sentencing came more than three years after he gained widespread fame and infamy for his representation of Stormy Daniels, who he was charged with defrauding by taking her book money, some of it, and spending it on his own personal shit. Daniels is one of several former Avenatti clients that he is charged with swindling in two other separate federal prosecutions, one of which is due to begin next week in California. With regards to the Nike case, Franklin had retained Avenatti to pursue reforms by Nike, whom Franklin had claimed was corruptly paying amateur players and their families. Avenatti then leveraged that claim in early 2019 to demand not only a settlement with Franklin, but also a more lucrative consulting agreement from Nike for him and a high-powered attorney, Mark Garagos, in exchange for avoiding a press conference in which he would air Franklin's claims. That's extortion. Avenatti warned Nike's lawyer that the claims could take $10 billion out of your client's stock market capitalization. And he says, quote, I'm not fucking around with this and I'm not continuing to play games. That's what he told Nike's lawyer shortly before he was arrested. And uh, here's a scoop from Jonathan Swan at Axios. Tuckums, 
Tucker Carlson, was talking to U.S.-based Kremlin intermediaries about setting up an interview with Putin shortly before the Fox News host went on his crazy rant about the National Security Agency spying on him. Those sources said the U.S. government officials learned about Carlson's efforts to secure the Putin interview. Carlson learned that the government was aware of his outreach. He knew that. And that's the basis of his extraordinary accusation, followed by a rare public denial by the NSA that he had been targeted. Very careful wordage right there. Targeted. Axios has not confirmed whether any communications from Carlson have been intercepted, or if so, why. Carlson told his roughly three million viewers on June 28th that the day before, he had heard, quote, from a whistleblower within the U.S. government who reached out to warn us that the NSA is monitoring our electronic communications and is planning to leak them in an attempt to take this show off the air. Carlson said his source, quote, who is in a position to know, repeated back to us information about a story that we were working on that could have only come directly from my texts and emails. It's illegal, he says, for the NSA to spy on American citizens. Things like that should not happen in America, but unfortunately they do happen. And in this case, they did happen. Hmm. The NSA said in a tweet the next night, the Carlson show went on the air that his allegation is untrue. Tucker Carlson has never been an intelligence target of the agency, and the NSA has never had any plans to try to take his program off the air. That's a statement from the NSA. Now, I'm all for freedom of the press. You know that. But if your communications are with bad foreign actors, your shit could be swept up, especially if you're pushing Russian propaganda on your show that has the potential to kill thousands of Americans. But I don't think that's why his stuff got snatched up. Journalists routinely reach out to world leaders, including the leaders of countries that are not allied with the United States, to get interviews. And it's not unusual to first reach out through unofficial intermediaries rather than to go through the leaders' official press offices. Numerous American journalists have interviewed Putin in recent years, and none have faced professional repercussions. Quite the contrary, Chris Wallace got a Fox News its first Emmy nomination for his 2018 Putin interview. Axios submitted a request for comment to the NSA on Wednesday, asking whether the agency would also be willing to categorically deny that the NSA intercepted any of Carlson's communications in the context of monitoring somebody he was talking to in his efforts to set up an interview with Putin. An NSA spokesperson declined to comment and referred Axios back to the agency's earlier carefully worded statement. In other words, the NSA is denying the targeting of Carlson, but is also not denying that his communications were incidentally collected. So there's a couple of things that could happen here. The first and least likely scenario, according to Jonathan Swan, is that the U.S. government submitted a request to the FISC for a FISA warrant to monitor Carlson. Mm, probably not. This is probably what happened. And this is what I think happened. And I tweeted about it the night he went on his rant. A more plausible scenario is one of the people Carlson was talking to as an intermediary to help him get a Putin interview was under surveillance as a foreign agent. <laughs> In that scenario, Carlson's emails or text messages could have been incidentally collected as part of monitoring that person. But Carlson's identity would have been masked in any intelligence reports. In order to know that the texts and emails were Carlson's, a U.S. government official would likely have to request his identity to be unmasked, something that's only permitted if the unmasking is necessary to understand the intelligence. Two sources familiar with Carlson's communications said his two Kremlin intermediaries live in the United States, but the sources could not confirm whether both are American citizens or whether both were on U.S. soil at the time they communicated with Carlson. This is relevant. Because if one of them was a foreign national and on foreign soil, the U.S. government wouldn't have had to have seek approval to monitor his communications, or at least the Russians' communications. So that's what I think happened. He was talking to a bad guy that was probably on foreign soil that the NSA was monitoring, got swept up, they unmasked. Maybe they didn't unmask, 
but it was Tucker Carlson's emails and communications. Or maybe he didn't get swept up in it at all. But certainly they didn't get a FISA on him and they're not spying on Tucker Carlson as a target to take him off the air. That's the dumbest thing ever. And in insurrection news, the Justice Department unveiled a major indictment Thursday against five Florida men accused of attacking at least seven police officers. Prosecutors say that all the defendants from the Tampa Bay area repeatedly attacked members of the D.C.'s police force. They allegedly used stolen riot shields and flagpoles to assault officers in the head and neck and later resorted to punching, kicking and elbowing the officers. The indictment includes 19 criminal counts, which is among the most for a capital riot case. The defendants were arrested last week. They haven't entered a plea yet, though some of the defendants will appear Thursday in D.C. federal court. Some were released from jail, according to court filings, but prosecutors are asking a judge to keep at least one defendant detained. And in a related story, public pressure works. Toyota Motor Corporation will no longer donate to members of Congress who voted against certifying the 2020 election results in January. That's according to a statement from the company on Thursday after facing huge blowback over corporate contributions. The move also follows an announcement earlier in the day that the Lincoln Project, a political action committee founded by Republicans to help defeat former President Donald Trump in 2020, would be releasing a series of ads directed at companies that donated to policymakers who opposed certifying the election, beginning with Toyota. The Lincoln Project ad aimed at Toyota was slated to be the first in a series that would run in markets relevant to the company it's targeting, the organization said. The Toyota ad was scheduled to run on Fox Business and CNBC in Plano, Texas, near the company's American headquarters and in New York City and digitally near the top 20 Toyota dealerships in the U.S. Comcast in D.C. declined to air the commercial, arguing it didn't meet their guidelines. Hours later, Toyota announced it would change course and stop the donations, saying, quote, Toyota is committed to supporting and promoting actions that further our democracy. Our company has longstanding relationships with members of Congress across the political spectrum, especially those representing our U.S. operations. All right, USAA, it's your turn. And if anyone listening has USAA insurance bank accounts and you're able Give them a call. Move your policies. Move your accounts until they publicly denounce 1-6 and stop making donations and holding accounts for Trump fundraising off the big lie. I did it. You can do it. If you're able, please. And here's something that you'll wish your tax dollars weren't paying for. The former guy and his club in Bedminster, New Jersey, charged the Secret Service nearly $10,200 for guest rooms used by his protective detail during his first month at the club this summer. That's according to newly released spending records. The records released by the Secret Service in response to a public records request show the ex-president has continued a habit he began in the first days of his presidency, charging rent to the agency that protects his life. Since Trump left office in January, U.S. taxpayers have paid Trump's businesses more than $50,000 for rooms used by Secret Service agents. Washington Post reported previously Trump's Mar-a-Lago club where he lived in January. Well, from January when he left the White House to May when he went to Bedminster, they charged the Secret Service more than 40 grand so that agents could use a room near Trump. Legal experts have said there are no laws to prohibit Trump's company from charging Secret Service rent in his properties, either during or after his presidency. The rate is effectively up to him. By law, the Secret Service can pay whatever it must to rent rooms near its protectees for use as command posts and meeting rooms. So lawful, but awful, as we say. And I have a little surprise schadenfreude for you. Alan Weisselberg, the indicted Trump Organization executive, was removed today as director of Donald Trump's golf resort in Aberdeen, Scotland, according to public records. The move is the first to indicate how the indictment is affecting operations of the Trump Organization. His removal comes as Scottish lawmakers, a global do-gooder organization called Avaz, are pushing for an unexplained wealth inquiry into how Trump got the money to buy and refurbish both of his money-losing Scottish golf courses. I have a hint for you. 
it's Russia. A 2018 British law lets investigators examine company and personal finance records to determine sources of money and riches they deem suspicious. It's been called the McMafia law. Trump's Aberdeen course lost nearly $1.5 million in 2019, up slightly from 2018. The property has lost money for seven years in a row. There are only two ways Weisselberg could be removed as director of this golf course. Either Weisselberg could have done it on his own. In that case, his lawyers may have advised him to do so for reasons that are not yet clear. The other would have been for Trump to remove him, or his sons, Don and Eric, who remain the only directors to remove him. That, too, may indicate a criminal defense strategic move. Since Weiselberg remains on the Trump Organization payroll, it's almost certain that it's not a split between the interests of Weiselberg and Trump. The move suggests that Trump may be trying to make sure only he and his family members exercise any legal control over the Trump Organization. Removing Weiselberg would not block or limit any Scottish inquiry or the investigation by the New York County District Attorney's Special Grand Jury. Everyone will be right back with cybersecurity expert Alan Silberberg to discuss the recent attacks on businesses in the RNC by Russia. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of The Beans is brought to you by Magic Spoon, my favorite food. If you've ever had heated arguments about the best brand of cereal as a kid, or you got into a fight with a sibling over the last bowl, Magic Spoon is for you. Cereal was always my favorite food growing up. I used to sit down in front of Tom and Jerry which was in prime time at the time. Eat a bowl of my favorite cereal, drink the delicious milk afterwards, but I've had to give it up as an adult because of all the sugar and carbs and junk. That is why I love Magic Spoon. They are here to save the day. It tastes exactly like the regular cereal from your childhood, but it's super nutritious. They have zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, four net grams of carbs, and 140 calories in each serving. And it is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. And you can build your own box. Available flavors to build a custom bundle are cocoa, fruity, frosted, blueberry, cinnamon, and peanut butter. I love the great new flavors, and combining them is amazing. I like to mix cocoa with peanut butter because it's like a peanut butter cup. So go to magicspoon.com slash dailybeans to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use promo code dailybeans at checkout to save $5 off your order. This offer is now good anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, but only when you use our code at checkout. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash dailybeans and use code dailybeans, all one word, to save $5 off. And thanks to Magic Spoon for being so delicious and for sponsoring the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So the breach, the recent breach of the Republican National Committee RNC contractor by Cozy Bear and the recent global ransomware attacks by groups of Russian hackers or hackers in Russia, occurred just weeks after the recent U.S.-Russia summit. And I think it will be testing Biden on his resolve to hold Russia accountable. And joining me today to discuss the implications is the man who wrote the book on this, cybersecurity expert and author of the book, Bots Against Us, The Ongoing Information War Against the United States. Please welcome Alan Silberberg. Alan, hello. Hi, thank you very much for having me today. Thank you for joining me. We've got so much going on right now with recent attacks and Less than recent attacks, but there's been quite a few since the Biden administration took over. And then, of course, we have the entirety of, of uh, 2016 going forward. Of course, we could talk about the last hundred years of, of <laughs> information warfare about, uh, from the, the Russians specifically. But I wanted to focus on some of these more recent attacks and the responses. We got a warning from the FBI earlier this year, a written warning. This doesn't happen too much, that cyber attacks and social media manipulation would be significantly ramped up from Russia for 12 to 18 months. 
And it seems that the Russians are living up to that threat. I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about these very recent attacks, the RNC and the the phishing ransomware attacks that have happened between Colonial Pipeline and today. Yeah, I think you're you're right on. Um, uh, I think that that warning also stems from the fact that with a new administration coming in after having had the guy who was like, you know, Putin's puppet in the White House for four years, suddenly they knew that there was going to be an opposing figure. So so clearly right away, there was going to be more a ramp up of of cyber attacks. But I will argue that they've never really stopped. It's kind of been an ongoing thing. This is what I touched about on my book. Um, But we've definitely seen that escalate. It's pretty much 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Uh, The question is, how quickly do they get caught? It's not like, how often are they actually doing it? It's a lot of these are long-term plays. They might be, they might put the seeds in in the ground for six months before they actually try to execute the attack. Uh, You know, oftentimes with each of these larger attacks, they mask a smaller attack where they mask a series of smaller attacks. So that in other words, like the larger attack gets everybody's attention in the media and in government and everybody's yelling and screaming about this one large attack. Meanwhile, for that one large attack, they might have also slipped in five or 10 smaller attacks uh, at the exact same time um, that are covered because they're using a different method or a different vector or a different uh, attack surface area. But they use that larger attack as the way to divert everybody's attention, basically. from. So often those secondary attacks are more lethal because they're the ones where they're really targeting the, the information, the private information or the data that they're seeking. Whereas the larger attacks often are about ransomware and like, you know, getting press attention, driving up the price of Bitcoin, et cetera. Yeah. And and talking about, you, you know, you mentioned these vulnerabilities and, you know, the transition. Transitions generally make us more vulnerable to these types of attacks because if people are leaving and going, it's like, you know, you rob a bank when they change the shift of the security guards. but a lot of these recent attacks, and I'm particularly thinking of the Colonial Pipeline attack and, and probably these uh, other recent attacks, ransomware attacks that just happened this past week, we seem to be very ill-prepared, at least in private industry. Uh, but also, in other ways, we're ill-prepared. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that preparedness, but also about how COVID has made us more vulnerable to these attacks. Let's start with the COVID piece. Uh, COVID, as you know, as we all know, or at least most people (laughs) who are conscious, um, it's a global problem. It's happening in all these countries. Um, uh, It is making people sick. People are dying. There's no joke about it. I mean, there's there's no reason not to get a vaccine. Let's just start with that. Secondly, um, the problem with it is that it's almost like there's two viruses, okay? There's the virus that we all hear about and read about. Then there's the digital information virus, the disinformation virus, the, like all the, the fake news about it, the anti-vaccine information. But also a lot of that is actually the same exact players who have been attacking us for the last several years, you know, through various Russian hacks. So is it actually the Russian government or is it like their private contractor sitting in the office next door? Yeah. Then I- uh, it's probably both. It's actually probably both. Is my guess is a combination of both. What the Russians try to do often is they'll use these sort of intermediary contractors that they have in Russia. When I say contractors, it's not like here in the U.S. I mean, basically, if you're a blogger in Russia, you work for Putin. It's, it's really like he's actually declared that. he may, I forget what year it was, maybe 2012. Like when he came back into power, you know, it was like, oh, if you're a blogger and you blog about anything, you work for me. Um, 
And, and then at the same time, the Russia actually has a, a Russian version of Facebook, uh, Vatank. And um, in, in, in right when Putin came back into power in 2012, I think, or 2013, he booted the guy who had been the legitimate CEO of that social media company. And then he put in, you know, one of his buddies to run basically the Russian version of Facebook. Um, and uh, what, what Putin has also done over the years has invested you know, a, a huge amount of money into artificial intelligence-based attacks that are basically paired with, you know, 20, 30,000 hackers sitting in, a, in some basements in St. Petersburg and in Moscow. But when you pair the artificial intelligence attacks with the, those people, it magnifies it and amplifies the ability to do it. It's also a cheap way for Russia to hurt us, you know, without having to put a plane in the air or drop a bomb or put, you know, a ship in the ocean. And, um, you know, we have the same capabilities. Um, you know, I think that the, 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 when you look, think about like, are we defending ourselves or, you know, has Biden jumped in yet? My feeling is very strongly right now, there's actually a lot of things happening that we're not all hearing about, number one. Number two, um, America has tremendous cybersecurity capabilities, offensive. And I have actually been warned on, you know, multiple occasions when I give speeches, public speeches, you know, not to address certain issues. Hmm. And I don't even know why, but I just get told, like, don't, you know, okay, why? Well, you know why. No, I don't know why. Okay. Yeah, well, they, you know, that's the, that's the wink and the nod, right? Like, that's like, uh, <clears throat> we're doing some stuff, you know, we're doing some things. For everything we know about the NSA, there's a thousand things we don't know. Mm. And same with all the other agencies who have cyber capabilities. Um, and, but I will say that if we wanted to turn off Russia's electrical grid uh, for most of their major cities, we could do it very, very quickly um, within, within an hour. Um, if we wanted to turn off, you know, their pipelines, uh, just like colonial pipeline happened to us, it could easily happen to them. Um, if you look at what happened with Iran uh, and their nuclear, their nuclear research facility um, and, you know, Israel and the U.S. combined to create something that was basically walked into to the facility carrying a U.S. by someone carrying a USB stick. They put it in a computer and all the centrifuges in the Iranian facility died. Now, was that a U.S. attack? Was that an Israeli attack? No one ever knows, right? Um, but I think if you point, if you look at Stuxnet, uh, we clearly have the capability to do the exact same kind of stuff they're doing to us, if not more so, because their their economy and their their infrastructure is even more antiquated than ours. Yeah, but uh, but, but we America is very weak right now. To answer your earlier question. Um, and I, I think it's really important that people understand this. This gets into local politics and this gets into like state and federal differences between power. Uh, but basically, um, anything that's considered an, an infrastructure, a bridge, highway, you know, power plant, a water facility, a hospital, you know, they're all reliant on the same power grids and the same types of equipment. Um, unfortunately, uh, much of that industrial equipment was made years, years ago, before there was ever really like the idea of global cyber war. <laughs> um, so it's very easy to find the default passwords for things. It's extremely easy to use something like Shodan and go and basically search and find out what devices are connected to the internet at a specific location. 
and then go back, go into each device and basically say, well, which one has an open port? Boom, there you go. Um, you know, it's really that easy, unfortunately. And so uh, the, 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 the trick is the U.S. government at least is aware of that problem. I'm not saying they're necessarily reacting to it in the best way, but they're aware of it. Um, state governments are really, it's a really up and down the, the ball park in terms of like, you know, some of them are really good at pushing their local companies to be on top of cybersecurity. Other states could basically just don't care at all. And also same with industry. So some industries you have like some in, internal kind of, kind of uh, uh, watchdog type things and other industries, it's a free for all. Mm. But with industry, with, with critical industry, with infrastructure, uh, there's there's tr- certain types of industrial controls that are basically computer controlled, but they're not computers like you and I think of like like keyboards and monitors. You know, they're basically like hardwired things that just do the same routine all day long. It's all they do. They can't add on other software. They can't. So once someone figures out what what is inside of a very a, a particular location, it's really not that hard to start to disable large parts of that network. Mm-hmm. And when you think about that as an electrical grid, well, it's one thing when one hospital goes down, but what happens when 20 go down all at the same time? Or what happens, you know, everyone sort of talks about like an EMP, I go if an EMP hits my city, uh, electromagnetic pulse uh, weapon, um, which, you know, is, is like a nuclear weapon, it, except it generates a huge electrical pulse that just basically kills everything in sight uh, that's electrical and and, uh, electronic. Well, a lot of these devices that are in factories and whatever are susceptible to these attacks because they were made 20 years ago or they're made 30 years ago or 40 years ago. And then once they're attacked, it's not like you go to Walmart and pick up a a replacement part. You got to wait five, six, 10 weeks in normal times, pre-COVID, to get your replacement specialized electronic part to fix that one little piece in your factory. Yeah. Yeah. If you multiply that over a thousand factories or 10,000 factories or 20,000 factories, and then you also add in the roads and bridges and highways and and toll roads and hospitals and, and, and ambulances and, you know, fire departments and police departments, you're really looking at basically if and when, I think it's more when at this point, a hostile nation state decides to get truly hostile. Yeah. What we've been seeing in the last couple of weeks has been like, ha ha ha, F you, you know, yeah. like, oh, you met with our little, our tiny little president in, in, in a foreign country and you threatened him. So here's what we're going to show you. Basically. I think that's what happened. I think Biden walked in there, looked him because he's taller than Putin. So he definitely looked down on him. And he said something like, you know, you know, you can go F yourself for all the attacks you guys have been doing over the last. We know what happened in the elections. We know what happened, you know, and, and we also know that Trump was your was your buddy. So I'm pretty sure he gave him like a scare message. And then these recent stuff may or may not be a reaction to that because they may have been long term thing that just got recently caught. Yeah, I and I, I, I see where you're coming from on that. And I, I tend to agree. And I think that these particular newer hacks so close to that summit. I mean, the timing is is very interesting, to say the least. But, you know, I think sometimes Putin, by using these criminal hacking enterprises that are not state sponsored, tries tries to give himself a little padding with the United States government by saying, hey, 
That's not the Kremlin. That's just Bob in his basement. But they're all part of uh, his network, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, meanwhile, no one ever gets extradited from Russia. Right, exactly. And the thing about the Iranian centrifuge attack, you know, whether it was U.S. or Israel or a, a joint thing, we heard about it. We haven't heard about anything going on, at least in response to Russia. That doesn't mean it isn't happening. Well, well I think my, my point with that is that it may not be happening yet. Yeah, mm-hmm, of course. Only because I think that American military commanders are probably holding withholding fire at this point. I think that our resources and capabilities, from what I understand, are strong enough that that they could do this in a heartbeat. So, yeah. so I think what we're looking at really is, hey, we're kind of going to not really show you our weapons right now until we have to. Mm-hmm. I really feel it's something like that. Like, like they don't really want to reveal what we can actually do until such time as like, that's it, we're done. And we're, you're, you guys are going to be out of electricity for six months. Yeah. Yeah. Or something huge. And I think that this, that this RNC hack actually poses an opportunity for Biden to be able to retaliate in kind of a bipartisan fashion by standing up for the Republican Party, so to speak, uh, because we haven't heard anything about another DNC hack doesn't mean it didn't happen. <laughs> and I want to I want to ask you about this RNC hack and the previous one or ones. But I do have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Yep. Great. Thank you, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Allison for the beans. You know, I was supposed to get zit clemency at my age, but I haven't received it yet. So in the meantime, you know, a lot of people have home remedies for acne, but it that is never good. It doesn't work. And worse, it can damage your skin. And that is why I love Apostrophe. OK, Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company, science backed. They offer science backed oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to help clear acne. Apostrophe connects you with a board certified dermatologist who will create a personalized treatment plan that's perfect for you and your unique skin. You just fill out Apostrophe's online quiz about your skin goals and little couple questions about your medical history. Snap a few selfies and your dermatologist will create your customized treatment plan. It took me like a couple of minutes online to do this. It was so easy and fast. And they treat acne. They can also help with wrinkles, dark spots and redness. My personal skincare goals as an adult is to avoid acne first, first and foremost. And then, of course, little help with the fine lines and wrinkles and some dark spots, too. And I love apostrophe because I get the real dermatologist board certified. The plan was tailored just for me. It's all online. It takes a couple of minutes. It's quick and easy. I didn't even have to schedule an appointment. And best of all, I didn't have to go to the pharmacy to like wait in line and get meds. They sent them directly to my house. And the prescription medications feel great. They absorb nicely. They're nice and light. They're wonderful feeling. And we have a special deal for you. You can save $15 off your first visit, making your first visit with a board-certified dermatologist at Apostrophe only $5 by going to apostrophe.com slash beans and use code beans. The code is only available to you. So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash beans, click begin visit, then use our code beans to sign up and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's apostrophe, A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash beans. And don't forget code beans to get your dermatology visit and save $15. And we thank apostrophe for sponsoring the show. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking with Alan Silberberg, cybersecurity expert, author of the book Bots Against Us, the ongoing information war against the United States. And Alan, uh, before the break, I was talking about I mentioned the RNC hack. That is a recent development, at least it's being recently publicly reported. And this is not the first time, as we know, the RNC was hacked alongside the DNC and the DCCC in 2016. Now, of course, we didn't see any of those, at least 
Russia didn't publicly weaponize anything they got from the RNC. They only publicly weaponized what they got from the DNC. That doesn't mean it wasn't weaponized, but we didn't see any of it on any of the material. Well, actually, I actually would say that it was weaponized, but it was weaponized against the Republican Party specifically. And that is why we see so many of these so-called patriots running around and they are they are they are basically agents of Russia. They are basically every day spouting Russian propaganda that comes right off of the Kremlin's hot sheet. And um, there's, they make no apologies for it whatsoever. Yeah, and that's what I meant, that we didn't see it public. It wasn't publicly weaponized. Yeah, up, but I, so there's almost like it's like quiet extortion going on. <laughs> that's probably the whole Republican Party. And the reason I say that is because... Or at least the Trump, the ones that are aligning with Trump and the big lie and well, the vaccine. No, no, no you no, think no, all no. of it. Anyway, anyway, I'll take it further. Okay, yes, it's Trump. But to take it further, it's anyone who accepted money from the NRA over the last 12 to 15 years. Okay, Because that money, the Russia and Ukraine oligarchs were laundering hundreds of millions of dollars through the National Rifle Association into these accounts of all these uh, congressional and state level Republicans. And so it is my feeling very strongly as someone who's been involved in all kinds of cybersecurity situations and uh, extortion and I mean, you name it. Okay. Uh, uh, this is the whole hallmarks of a group of people who are being extorted, uh, by another larger, more powerful organization, uh, who has the ability to hurt them. And, uh, and I think that this recent hack of the RNC is most likely the third in, in five years. And the reason I say that is because when we, what we know is that in, our, in the 2016, when the DNC announced that it had been hacked, the RNC had also been hacked as well. We don't really fully know whether it was everything inside of them or it was you know, one or two things, but let's assume it was everything just like they did to the DNC. Um, the Republicans had been uniquely susceptible already to that because of the money coming in from Russia and because of the NRA. They had already been open to sharing Russian media for years amongst each other uh, as conspiracy stories, as, hey, go check out this website. A lot of Republican groups use Russian-based servers for their data because they think that America can't find it. It actually makes them a target. They're they're so idiotic about it. Like, it's like, you know, it's the clown car writ large, right? Um, But... But I mean, but seriously, I think that that so when you look at these things, um, you kind of have to look at like how are they extorted? Okay, they're extorted through email, and the hacks of the RNC system, which wouldn't just be emails; it would also potentially be SMS messages back and forth between people on a VoIP system, because mm-hmm. they're most likely using a VoIP system for their office phones. So if they are, then all of those messages. <laughs> Every all their messaging, if they use their VoIP system, would have been sucked up by the Russians. Mm-hmm. So let's assume that this one, that this RNC hack, is really about updating their the Russians' databases for for like the new guy for compromise. Yeah, yeah, the new compromise. Let's get all the crap out there because they already have it on the old guys. So let's just keep going. That's how it seems like to me. Like like it's very specific. Like oh, you guys are not doing a good job. We're going to rein you back. When do you think the second RNC hack happened? Was it around the time of the Ukraine uh, stuff? Yeah, Yeah. I I think sometime around 2014, 15. uh, Oh, before 2016. Yeah, yeah, a whole bunch of Russia, a whole bunch of Republicans suddenly joined the Russian party. 
Yep. And and I and, and the only reason for that would be that there was something being held over their heads or money. Or it could only be money or compromise. And the compromise could be anything. It could be their sexual foibles. It could be their own money problems. It could be like the fact that they're working with white supremacists. It could be like anything, right? And um, but I think that the money from the through the NRA is the common theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it really ties a lot of this together in a way that almost nothing else does. Yeah, it does definitely seem to be a hub. And, um, you know, I think it's interesting that the way a lot of Republicans and not just uh, elected Republicans, but folks like Tucker Carlson, who say, well, the you know, the NSA is spying on my communications. And we have to explain, although they know this, that, that you know, I mean, I'm wondering how long it takes for him to have to get a, a foreign registration as a foreign agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the NSA spies on bad guys. And if you're talking to the bad guys, we're, you'll be unmasked. Just to see who they're talking also, to. Just his, his daily, his daily propaganda mm-hmm. feed. It's all Russian propaganda. It's all Russian propaganda. Yeah, it's like word for word. Yeah, and now with this, this is Cozy Bear that did this hack on RNC. Same, same old good old Cozy Bear. They're most definitely state sponsored. So I think, definitely. I think that that makes this hack harder for the Biden administration to ignore. Do you? What do you think their response would or should be? I think I, I'm assuming, and I hope they will respond. Although. They didn't respond really the way that I wanted them to, to to like the Navalny situation, the Khashoggi situation when we got that report about MBS being responsible or ordering the the murder. So, you know, and then, of course, Colonial Pipeline was like that seemed like the last straw. That was when Biden was like, I've had it up to here with you. But now we've got this. let's, Let's just look at this from a calendar perspective to start with. Um, we're just only really six months into Biden's administration. Uh, many of the cybersecurity people that he's been appointing are either just getting in their seats now or have just gotten in their seats a few weeks ago. Um, there was a delay because of the Senate. You know, COVID. On purpose. Yeah, the Senate on purpose. On purpose, right. <laughs> um, um, so, I mean, clearly a lot of the players are still getting their feet wet. That does not mean that we're not responding. I, and I wonder what the FBI is doing. I, we have no idea. They've been super quiet. I mean, then, and to take that a little bit further, they've also been very quiet about what happened on January 6th, which has upset me dramatically. I feel like there, there needs to be like one of those giant like Homeland Security press conferences where like they've got like a member of every 17 of the intelligence agencies lined up, you know, and every one of them has their chance to say something because they have something to say, just like with 9-11. But with one six, we never saw that yet. We haven't seen anything like that. And I think it's really shameful. And it really makes me wonder about like the cyber attacks, because it's almost like, okay, a lot of people want to disassociate the cyber attacks from what happened on one six. Yeah, you can't. I personally feel we can't. Exactly. Number one, there were Russians who were arrested. There were Russian media covering it. You know, it was still to this day, like a thing that's celebrated in Russian media. Trump, who's the number one Russian puppet, is out there saying that, you know, like, oh, like, you know, let's unmask the person who shot. Ashley Babbitt. Yeah. And Putin actually used it as a. Let's not let's not like grease over this. She was a domestic terrorist. Yeah, And Putin actually used that that rhetoric in in the interview that that NBC did for whatever effing reason. Yeah. You know, by by saying, hey, aren't you, you know, free and fair elections and, and shame on you. And he's like, yeah, but you you had government dissidents who were airing grievances and look what happened. You killed them. So it, it's it's all connected. I think so. And I think that when you look at the recent attacks, I mean, the big question that I would ask just as long term dealing with cybersecurity problems is 
most of the time when you hear about a major attack, it's not, you hear about it when it's been discovered. Actually, wait, let me rephrase that. You hear about it when the organization decides to notify <laughs> that, 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 that they were, so it's not even when it's been discovered. It's been, it's when they decide to notify. So it's really up to the organization or person who gets hacked to say, hey, flag, red flag, you know, I got hacked. Um, and when they don't say that and they just kind of go through business as normal, as long, even if it's 24 hours longer, um, they're setting up all the people who got hacked for simultaneous hacks at the same time because suddenly all that information is out in the wild uh, and you're not giving people a chance to change in their information. Um, but this, these types of hacks, like, like the RNC hack, I mean, my question is, what, did they forget their password? Like, you know, the Russians, to me, probably are already in the RNC. And maybe the RNC did some sort of change recently. So they had to like do the hack because they didn't have like one admin password or something. But basically, I think that the Russians have been sucking up the data almost directly through Trump and Trump's team. I mean, if you look at the whole Alpha Bank server and you go all the way back, back to that, pinging, you know, on an hourly basis for months at a time, um, there was a reason for that. And, and it translated into the White House. And what I wrote my book about partly was how bots were being used against all of us to manipulate our minds and thinking about these things, but also the continued uh, communications coordination that existed between Trump, the, his team, the Kremlin, and their media people. And when I say communications coordination, uh, you're, you're a veteran, if I recall. Yes. yes. Okay. So, so in, 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 in military operations, communications is key. Like timing of communications, especially is, is it really makes the battlefield one way or another. And in information warfare, that's especially true. So if your goal is to dominate the information war space, you do it by coordinating the message coming from multiple outlets all at once. Hmm. Uh, and if you really want to dominate, you get as many outlets as you possibly can to do it within the first minute, right? So they're all. So what we documented and I documented in my book was this continual coordinated communication between Trump, his immediate family, like, like his supporters, General Flynn, his people, and the Kremlin and all their media people. To the to like the millisecond. So, if Trump tweeted something, the Kremlin would retweet it like so quickly that you know there wasn't a human involved. It was automated. Mm -hmm, yeah. Um, and and then but then the other way too. So if Kremlin tweeted something or put it on Facebook, Trump's people were putting it, reposting it also so quick that there's no way it was done by human. It was done in an automated fashion. So, which really, you really have to ask the question, and I've been asking this question for five and a half years, I think you have too, like, why would somebody, you know, be in direct communication with the, one of the most dangerous despots uh, in the world on a daily basis? Compromise. Like, there's, yeah, there's zero good, there's zero good that comes out of that relationship. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, you know, that's to me, if you look back on all this, that is, that's the question that Mueller never bothered to ask. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we know also that 
he didn't ask that question. And then, of course, Barr came in and inappropriately redacted a bunch of stuff in volume one of the Mueller report to downplay the breadth and depth of, of the Russian interference and Russian coordination with the Trump campaign. Oh, no, he did a full whitewash. Yeah. Come on, let's let's just be honest. Mm-hmm. Here. He had like a he had a he had a, a U-Haul full of white paint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he most certainly did. I'm really interested to see how the administration responds, particularly to the state sponsored Cozy Bear RNC hack. And I, you know, looking back, like you said, from a 30,000 foot view, everything that these Republicans do and say, you know, from the rep that we've never heard of all the way up to the former guy. If you look at it through the lens of them spreading Russian propaganda, everything they say makes sense. Yeah, because then it's part of a long game that Russia has been playing for 30, 40, 50, well, Soviet Union has been playing for years. Yeah. years. <laughs> Yeah. And and um, but I mean, and the long game is a very specific thing. And I would, I would suggest that people Google it. It's, it's the, a terminology that, you know, it refers to the Soviets thinking of, of basically using American people against each other um, to create dissension and chaos and in America without them having to invade us, essentially. Yeah, agreed. Well, thank you uh, very much. In addition to Googling the long game, I hope everybody buys your book. It's called Bots Bots Against Us. And also they can follow you on Twitter at IdeaGov. And I think we'll be getting really important and good updates and information from you as we face this particular 12 to 18 months of massive onslaught cyber attacks, but also how we're going to cope with this uh, looking into the future. Well, thank you very much for having me. And I think everybody should put their seatbelts on and buckle up because it's definitely not over. I think that's literally what the FBI said in their memo. (laughs) (laughs) I think it literally said seatbelts. All right. Thank you very much. Alan Silberberg. Everybody stick around. Thank you. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's Allison for The Beans, and I have an amazing recommendation for simple, straightforward self-care that doesn't add stress to your routine. It's Caliper CBD. Taking care of yourself doesn't need to add to your worries. And Caliper CBD is amazing. I've noticed a marked improvement in my stress levels, my overall sense of calm, and I've had less pain and soreness after workouts, and I'm even able to fall asleep easier. And the best part about Caliper CBD is I get all the benefits without changing my routine. Caliper is so convenient, they've created an easy-to-use, more effective CBD powder, which is the only clinically proven fast-acting CBD. Rather than taking oils or tinctures that you have to hold under your tongue and taste bad, Caliper has created this amazing powder that dissolves it, it tasteless in water and food, and it delivers 30 times more CBD in the first 30 minutes versus oil, so you can get all the benefits fast, while some CBD oils can take over an hour. Caliper CBD was developed by food and science experts with decades of experience, and it's rigorously tested at each step of the process for purity and quality. There's no weird taste, no oily residue, and like I said, it mixes easily in food and drink because it's not oily, so I put some in an after-workout protein shake. It's amazing. It's helped me calm down and relax, even when stress gets really overwhelming, but Caliper is always THC-free, so I can feel better without the disorienting high, and I've had such a positive impact with it, my friends and family have noticed. It's all natural, vegan, non-GMO. It comes in 20-milligram packets, so you know exactly how much you're taking. It's free of fillers, free of added chemicals and artificial flavors. And you can get 20% off your first order when you use promo code DAILYBEANS at tricaliper.com slash dailybeans. So we have the URL, tricaliper.com slash dailybeans, and use the promo code dailybeans, all one word. You can try it risk-free for 30 days, and if you don't love it, they'll give you a full refund. That's tricaliper.com slash dailybeans, and don't forget promo code dailybeans for 20% off your first order. Today's show is also brought to you by Truebill. How many unknown subscriptions do you have out there that are being monthly charged to you that you just don't even have any idea about? That has ended for me because I found Truebill. They helped me simplify my life and my whole budget, actually. Truebill is the easy-to-use app. It's the smartest way to manage your finances. They have a variety of tools to help customers improve their financial stuff. And 
Truva lets you review your recurring charges in one place and cancel them directly through the app. 80% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. 80%. Me included. <laughs> and those subscriptions add up every month. And sometimes we don't notice the monthly deductions from our bank accounts. But Truebill makes it simple to create a monthly budget and expense, track and evaluate savings goals, and you get automated savings when you choose how much to put away weekly. And you can get push notifications when you're getting close to going over your budget. I love it. And with Truebill, you can easily identify fraudulent activity. Truebill offers multiple ways to save money and allows you to work with many of the nation's top providers to negotiate and lower your bills, including AT&T, T-Mobile, and Spectrum. With bank-level security, Truebill helps you feel good about your finances, and they've saved their users more than $50 million. With over 1 million users, read their rave reviews at Truebill.com. The average person saves $720 a year with Truebill. So get started today at Truebill.com beans. Take control of your finances, start counting your beans, and start saving at Truebill.com beans. That's Truebill.com beans. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll blow on good news is on the way. And it's Friday. That means I am joined by actress extraordinaire, voiceover work, just the most delightful person you'll ever meet in Hollywood. I'm sure her name <laughs> is Amy Carrero. How are you? Hello. I'm great. How are you? Good. I'm happy to be back. It was kind of weird last Thursday not to have um, any any AG in my life. Yeah. I, I, you know, I missed the the news. Like I didn't miss didn't stop, as much. It didn't but, stop. It was cr- yeah. it was crazy, actually. But, you know, the thing I missed is reading the good news with y'all. That's like, yeah, mm, well, we're back, baby. Indeed, we are. And if you have anything you want to submit for good news, confessions, corrections, misheard song lyrics, Shared swears, find the cat, happy places. We have so many games. What the mutt, town twisters, Louis Gomert is dumb, <laughs> limericks, <laughs> whatever, limericks. Whatever you have. If you want to start a new game, clearly we're down. So just send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And that is how you will hear yourself read on the air. First up from anonymous Amy, pronoun she and her. Misheard lyric, kinda. When I was in elementary school, I thought the Pledge of Allegiance ended with with liberty and justice for all. <laughs> I spend a lot of time wondering why anyone wanted liberty. How liberty was provided to all. I mean, did the oh, government send out a box of liberty bags or was there a special liberty dispensing place? And whether my parents were hogging the liver tea that was supposed to be for me because I never had any. <laughs> or maybe liver tea was like my dad's beer and only for grownups. <laughs> oh, man. As my pet tax uh, is paid by Abby, found on Adams Boulevard in Los Angeles. Aww. And the best fluffer butter ever. Look at this baby. Oh. oh, my God. Look at the baby with those eyeballs. That's a cute little... Munch and the little head tilt Aww. with the little emo hair flip coming yeah. over the side. Oh, I can't believe that anybody left that dog out. No, just you know. Oh, well, that's hilarious, and I'm I'm very glad it's not liver tea because really, I'd be out. I'd be totally out. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I don't want your I don't want your liver tea or your democracy. <laughs> um. Okay. Next up. We've got Lisa, pronouns she, her. After a terrifying few weeks with lots of tests and hospital procedures, I found out today that I do not have cervical cancer. Woo! That's great news. For Guess the Mutt, I've attached a photo of my pod pets, Ranger and Daisy. Ranger is obviously a black lab. Yep. But can you take a guess about Daisy? 
Thank you for making me laugh when I didn't think I could. Oh, Lisa, I'm so happy that you got some good news. Lisa, that's so great. And high five. I've been cervical cancer free for 27 years. So amazing. High five to you. That's amazing, amazing yeah. news. And what a load off your mind that must be. And and these, I I, yeah. I imagine these doggos were there for you every step of the way. Let's be. Well, that's a cool. I mean, they're both beautiful. <laughs> Daisy is interesting. I. I think I still think Daisy has to have some lab, right? Because look at those faces. They look alike. Yeah, lab, pity, maybe healer. Oh, I, what is that? It's, it makes spots. Oh. Those hmm. spotty dogs. And then there's probably like something Samiad or Chow Chow or something that doesn't make any sense. Always the Chow Chow. Yeah. Always. Daisy is a German short-haired pointer lab. Oh, oh I should have known the German short-haired pointer. Oh my God. I've never. Wow. Okay. I got to look up a German short haired pointer. They also have spots. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. (sighs) Such a lovely doggo. All right. Next up from Adrian, pronouns she and her. Double ended dildos are as American as apple pie. Brought back a memory. (laughs) 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 The CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, hosted a contest to see what the Canadian equivalent was. As Canadian as blank. The winner was. Oh boy. mm -hmm, as Canadian as possible under the circumstances. <laughs> oh, my God. That's perfect. I think that sums up being Canadian to a T. Perhaps this could be a new game as blank as blank. blank. That would be fun if you have a, a country that you want to submit to as Canadian as possible under the circumstances. We would love to hear from you. <laughs> or a state even. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And uh, for my pet tax, I offer you my super mutt, Doug. I sent a pic of him as a giant puppy, and he's almost full grown, slowing down at 90 pounds. The biggest goofball ever, but also a handsome gentleman when he feels like it. Feel free to guess the breed mix. Hint, there are four. Oh, God. Okay, well, let's, I'm not going to look down. Um, Okay, Um, lab, is German, yeah, uh, mm. yeah, Um, shepherd lab, Uh, Rottweiler. Oh, yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, my gosh. Look what he looks like now. Oh, definitely. Definitely Rottweiler. And maybe Boxer. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Let's see what we got. Yeah, let's see. Lab, Mastiff, German Shepherd and Belgian Turverin. Mastiff. Yeah. Huh. That's where I I think that's what I was seeing is Roddy is what the Mastiff is. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I guess maybe the Rottweilers are a little thinner. Yeah. But what a cutie baby. And I have to look up a Belgian Turverin. I've never heard of that. I've never, never heard of it. Okay, while you look that up, let's head on to Audra, pronounced she, her, in Rhode Island. Please know that everyone at the Beans have all made a significant, meaningful, positive contribution to my mental health over the past few years. And I've been a devout fan. Mm. I am deeply grateful for your kindness, diligence, and hard work in creating the podcasts, uh, but also the community you've built. I'm sharing a good news story, but also asking for help. I started to foster cats over the pandemic because I needed to do something positive in the world, but was overwhelmed and didn't feel capable of much. Attached are photos of my latest foster. Her name is Jill. Seriously, it's Jill. Who names a cat Jill? (laughs) Wasn't me. She was her surrender from a home that was extremely busy. I walked inside no more than a few moments to pick her up and felt on the verge of a panic attack myself. Dogs barking, kids running, screaming, lots of noise and activity. Jill had been so stressed Ooh. living there that she was severely overweight and barbering. What's that? I've never heard of that. Oh, that she goes on to explain. That is, she was pulling her own fur out. 
Her belly and legs were almost completely bare. Additionally, she has huge mitts for front paws and several extra toes. That means several extra nails. Her owners didn't know or notice that one of her claws was so severely overgrown that it had curled back into her own skin. Oh my gosh, nightmare. Jilly Bean and I have spent several months together building trust in my quiet house. She's lost a little weight, gotten on some medication to help her with her anxiety, and stopped barbering quite so badly. That's my good news. She's doing much better. She needs a forever home, though, and I want to find the perfect place for my little buddy. She's had a tough go of it, but you would never know it. She's a big, soft, sweet marshmallow who wants to lay on your chest and cuddle. She drools and purrs when she's happy, which is most of the time. Mm. She's inquisitive and watches what I get up to and chirps at birds. Because she's overweight, she doesn't jump onto high surfaces, and I had to set up a little step for her to be able to get onto the bed. She's a little bow-legged with a serious sachet when she walks, but it's cute as fuck. She is cute as fuck. If you have a quiet home with no other animals and no kids, please consider opening your home and your heart to this little one. Thanks for listening, and please send out good vibes for my jelly bean. And there's a Pet Finder link on here. Yeah, we'll put it in the uh, show notes yeah. so that you have it. Oh, my gosh. Look. She's a beauty. Oh, she's got so much personality, too. Hey. Oh, what a beautiful cat. Hey, girl. Oh, wow. Hey. Well, I would immediately okay. take Jilly, but you know I have my two boys. So if she doesn't do well with other yeah. pets, anyone who's interested in Jilly will have this Pet Finder link in the notes for you, in the show notes. Yes. Oh, what a honey. I love polydactyl kitties, too. She's got thumbs. It's so cute. All right. Next up from Owen, pronouns he and him. Pronounce the town. Hello, Beans Queens. I'm from New Zealand and I live in Australia. So there are plenty of Maori and indigenous Australian place names I could throw at you. But even better are the allegedly English place names. Yes. (laughs) My partner, who is from L.A., and I live near Melbourne, which, of course, is pronounced Melbourne. Yep. Just up the road is the town of Guildford which is pronounced Guilford. In the other direction is Fiansford, which is Feinsford. And oh, hilarious. Anaki, which is pronounced exactly like anarchy, but without the R. Anarchy. Okay. Okay. Anarchy. Okay. This degree of mispronunciation drives my partner insane. <laughs> For pet tax, <laughs> I have a pic of Ronan, the dog, and his new best friend, Chimichanga. Want to take a guess at Ronan's breed? Thanks so much for using your light to brighten so many days, even as you turn your light into dark places. Oh, oh my. Oh, wow, 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 wow. Okay, there's a reveal in this photo. I didn't see it until I scrolled down. Oh, wow. Look at that, baby. That is a Samiad Pomeranian. I don't know. I definitely Pomeranian. Can you imagine how small the cat is if that's the size of a Pomeranian? That's a Japanese spitz, my friends. Oh, Wow. Oh, I've never seen a Japanese spitz in person. Or maybe I have. What a Also, I this is crazy. I've been to Australia and to Melbourne. And that was like one of the first things I noticed because, you know, there's Melbourne, Florida, which is, you know, not close to where I grew up in Miami, but like as a place people know. So I was like, oh, yeah, we're in Melbourne, Melbourne. And they're like, Melbourne. So... <laughs> I'm glad to know it drives someone else crazy, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. So cute. Okay. All right. Oh, Amy's court. Dun, dun. Dun. <laughs> One case on the docket. Lemon v. Lime. The wolf pack. Hey, Beans fam. Longtime listener. First time writer. I've got a case for Amy's court. Me and my wife have been arguing over the color of lemon lime Gatorade for about a decade now <laughs> with no end in sight. 
That is until today. We have a collective agreement that whatever Elena Vavilor rules is binding. Yes, my daughter is six and has watched all of the episodes. Listen, I'm very, very flattered. Thank you so much. Also, I want to apologize for all of the earworm songs because I still (laughs) sing them and I recorded them years ago. So... Um, so thank you and sorry. Uh, I've seen the one with the magic dressing closet mm-hmm, about three times. I think that one is the, the one that has sister time on it, which is a song. Uh, regardless, I've got the agreement between my wife and daughter that if Elena, Amy, is willing to make a ruling on her case, we shall accept it because that would be super cool. My personal stance is that the lemon-lime Gatorade is indeed yellow because, you know, I have eyes. (laughs) My wife and daughter, on the other hand, have laid claim that it is green. We've asked many friends for outside opinions, but we remain dug in on our stance. So for once and for all, Amy's court, would you please make an unappealable ruling so we can continue on with our life? Okay. I I really, I, this is, this is... (laughs) This is, oh, wow. Now that you mention it, I want to say this is a neon yellow. Yeah, I. It's a highlighter yellow. I'm so sorry to your wife and daughter. I usually go with the gals on this one, but I, th- I, th- I think it's like a highlighter yellow. Yeah, I think I, you know, I know they're not looking for my opinion, but I'll, no, I'll, yeah, I'll we, file no, it. We need it. We need I'll file it. an amicus yes. brief with the court here. I do. I do think that falls in the yellow spectrum. Yeah, I really yeah. do. I also love how they they did like a Photoshop, like <laughs> not HTML. What is it when you look up a color code? I forget. Yeah, but they did the thing, and it's it's. I think it's very clearly like like a dirty kind of highlighter neon yellow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see green because the label's green. I, I see don't. green in the label, right? And maybe that's why. I wonder if we put it in a glass, it would be more yellow. Yeah, I think or if you look be. at the top photo where the label is gray and not green. Oh, right. Oh, look at that. That's so true. Okay, yeah. This is what my pee looks like after I drink all my vitamins. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It looks like vitamin enriched urine. That's what <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's like. <laughs> exactly what it looks like. Oh, man. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry to take a stance. And again, I, I apologize to your wife and daughter, but I think, I think, I think you might be right on this one. It is yellow. All right. That is Amy's decision. Thank you for writing into Amy's Court Wolfpack. We appreciate you very, very much. And if you have any disputes you need settled, something like this, a decades old long argument about the color of a beverage, you can send that. Even even if you have a dispute with your cat, I have many disputes with my cat. I might have to bring one of these Ooh, into Amy's Court. Bring one in. We want to know. But uh, if you have anything like that or any any other things you want to add to the good news segment, uh, if you have some good news yourself or confessions, all you know the whole list of stuff that we do. You can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com. And clicking on contact. And thank you so much for all of your submissions. We love you. This is my favorite part of the day. The best. Yes. So that's our show for today. Do you have anything you want to end on, Amy? Um. Thanks for listening. And I hope you all have a good weekend. I'm in rainy Boston. So I hope that it gets a little bit better. I'd like to speak to the manager because I was promised a hot girl summer and it's just been very wet. So, yeah, hot girl summers are tough in Boston. Have you uh, (laughs) are you allowed to say why you're there? Yeah, I'm doing a movie. Um, It's for Apple and it's a retelling of a Christmas carol. But it's like, you know, like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this part, but, you know, we'll just keep it between us. (laughs) Um, Ryan Reynolds is playing like the Scrooge and Will Ferrell is playing one of the ghosts of the of Christmas past or whatever. And it's really fun. It's super just the best way to spend, you know, a summer 
on the East Coast if it would just stop raining. Yeah, I think that 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 kind of makes it a hot girl summer, sort of like it helps. It helps. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If I got caught outside in a white (laughs) T-shirt in the rain, then it's really hot girl summer. (laughs) Awesome. Well, that's amazing. And please tell my good friends, Will Farrell and Ryan Reynolds, I say hello. I will. I'm kidding. I, they don't have any idea who I am. Oh, I bet they do. I bet they do. <laughs> They're probably l- like l- leguminates for life. Right. <laughs> you walk in and Farrell's got a bean yeah. shirt on. That'd be amazing. <laughs> everybody, everybody until, gosh, until Monday, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Oh, Unless you want to tune in on Sunday for Mueller, she wrote. I'm going to be talking with Robert Denault about some recently released Mueller letters that uh, no one's reporting on except uh, me, I guess. So if you want that information, you can check out Mueller, she wrote on Sunday. And everybody else, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been A.G. And I've been Amy Carrero. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.